I'm Travis. I'm Nate. And I'm Emily. And you're listening to the Cast and Blast Florida podcast. We are serious outdoorsmen who don't take themselves too seriously. This week, we take our best crack at the doctrine of public trust. Public trust is one of the most misunderstood ideals on the conservation landscape. We've talked about it before, and some of this may be redundant, but its importance cannot be understated. Plus, Nate gives us a deer update, Emily gets to go duck scouting, charcuterie chalets, my cousin Vinny, another new shirt drop, youth duck days, and a whole bunch more coming at you right now. What's new, guys? Oh, you just threw it out there randomly? Like you didn't you yeah. didn't cite one of us specifically? I don't like just to pick favorites. Just free for all around here. I'm your freaking husband. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could say the same, but every time we have a draft, Nate goes first, so explain yourself. I, I, <laughs> that's not even a comparison. Like, we sleep in the same bed. Exactly. Not Nate and I. Anyway... <laughs> Oh my gosh. God, I already have to edit. What's We're new? We're 30 seconds in and I have to edit. <laughs> this is the last episode before we get to shoot ducks in the face in Florida. That's pretty amazing. Because of youth weekend. We now have a youth right. weekend, a youth day before the season. That's this Saturday, the Saturday after this releases. So me and Will of formerly of the two minute Will fame. We'll be out shooting all the ducks we can in the face. Not me so much. I'll be playing retriever. Right. But he'll be shooting them. Are you coming with us? Sweet. When is it? Saturday. I don't think there's room for me in the boat. 4 a.m. Saturday morning. Mm, I think I have something. I think I'm supposed to be washing my hair. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. That came up all Mm -hmm. of a sudden? Yeah. Okay. What is new with you, Nate? What is new with me is like I'm, I decided that I'm a crappy deer hunter. Like, I just, I can't get on a deer, man. It's the rut up here right now, and I hunted this weekend, this past weekend, and everybody seems to be seeing chasing deer except for me, and I'm just not Go ahead. Ask, ask the questions I see with your eyes. You have questions. Is, the, is it because the deer are so busy rutting? Well, when they're rutting, they're supposed to be dizzy, busy running around and running in front oh. of me, but that didn't happen, so... I'm, I don't um, know how deer rut. Is that when they sh- they r- rub their antlers off? Um, n- no. Rutting is the breeding season. Oh, got it. Yeah, got it. Yep, got it. So they get a little stupid. Yep, they get stupid. Uh, they get a lot stupid, honestly. But not stupid enough for me, apparently. <laughs> I'm still stupider than the deer. <laughs> so, so the tell us. Deer. Give us the uh, lowlights, if you will. Like, have you seen a deer? Have you seen a buck? I've seen a couple of deer. I've seen a couple of does. I've seen, like, a button buck. But, and there's good sign all around me. Like, I'm in the right spot. They just haven't come by me. So, I'm just a little flabbergasted. What do you mean good sun all around you? Good sign. sign. Good sign. So, like, oh. bucks make signs. Like, they scrape the ground and make this, like, round, s- cleared out, like, dirt patch. And then they rub on trees and, like, strip the bark off of trees. So, if you see that, oh. you're in the right spot. I see all that kind of stuff. You're in the right spot. And I've seen lots of that. But just not, just can't get them to come by me when I'm sitting there. So, I don't know, man. Okay. I'm going to keep trying, but it's a little discouraging what's new with you Em? 
Are you going to edit it? <laughs> yes, I'm going to edit it. Okay, ask me again. <laughs> now I don't now I don't want to edit it. <laughs> What's it with you, Em? Um What's new with you? Em? Listen, if you're Just not jump in, if you're not you going to edit it, I have to tell the people that we have a whiteboard with a show outline on it, and my what's new section is blank, so I got confused. So Travis asked me what's new. I'll tell you what's new with me. I'll tell you what's new with me, Travis. <laughs> There's no way I'm editing any of this at this point. <laughs> this is gold. Three, two, one, and go. I'll tell you what's new with me, Travis. The Facebook group is hilarious. <laughs> This week, and there is a post that I was a big fan of. Instead of building a gingerbread house this year, they're suggesting that we might should build a charcuterie chalet. How did that feel to you? It felt right. It did felt really good. It's It speaks to me more than a gingerbread house. Yeah. Because gingerbread is just not that good, and you can't. Re- they're really hard to eat. But if you stick a meat and cheese house in front of me, I'm going to devour that thing no kidding and you have to have some like i don't know some way to build in wine to it obviously because a meat and cheese house requires like a moat a moat moat of wine wine. and straws for everybody what about um crackers the crackers will make up the structure of the house okay gotcha like i saw one of the pictures had those um like crackery breadsticks and they built a log cabin out of it and like the chinking was like a spreadable cheese and I do know the word chinking for a log cabin. I don't know what you said. I don't know if I have to edit this now or what. <laughs> like, I don't like any of what just happened. It's the stuff that you put, like, that you spread on the walls to keep the air from coming through the logs. Gotcha. Because I read about them in a series of Lori Wick novels as a young teenager in a Baptist church setting. Okay, great. Great. So, okay. How, how do you feel about the charcuterie chalet contest? Oh, so yeah, all of our listeners were like, oh, we should have a charcuterie chalet contest. And I was like, that's a great idea, but someone has to run it. (laughs) So (laughs) if someone's volunteering for that, I do. My one suggestion would be we should do it around Thanksgiving so that everyone can share their charcuterie chalet with their family and have lots of people, I guess, in a COVID safe manner, eat it. Here's what I Otherwise, we're just a bunch of dummies with like meat and cheese houses inside of our regular houses. It feels weird. But. That does not feel off-brand for you, first off. Nate, do you want to weigh in on this idea of a contest before we before we proceed? Um, I like the contest idea, but I also agree there's somebody needs to run it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, if you want to, like, build a meat and cheese house and send us a picture or send us pictures of it, we can pick the best picture, the best one. We don't have to eat it, although we'd want to. but so, We would want to. Here's my suggestion. Let's say this beginning today, Tuesday, whatever, this is pretty official, right? Like the way we do these things beginning sure. on Tuesday, November, the, um, we will launch the contest for the charcuterie chalet, the cast and blast Florida first annual inaugural charcuterie chalet contest for the cure. And we will run the contest until let's say Christmas. What? Yeah. No, dude. Why do you No, They have, you have the week of Thanksgiving to submit this. Then we're done. Oh, we're only giving them like two weeks to get this in and out. Yeah, get it done. We're, we don't have the kind of time to let these things linger. We have like conservation things to do. We have duck hunting to do. We have grouting of tile to do. We don't have time to do all this okay. for a whole month. That's insanity. Emily has spoken. So can we say 
Black Friday is the last day. Get your submissions in. I will pick a winner that weekend. Me alone. No other judges. So send your bribe. Okay. I'll send you my Venmo if you want to bribe me. And then we'll send you a shirt <laughs> if you win. And maybe a hat. There you go. Well done, Emily. Thank you. I place it Someone as, has to put some law and order around this podcast because you certainly are not doing it. I think... <laughs> I, over under, do we get more than three submissions? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Because <laughs> this is one of those things. I feel that, like I should just go ahead and send Adam Steele a shirt. Yeah, this is one of those things <laughs> where it's like, you know how like everybody's out and they're all drinking and they're like, you know what would be a great idea is to buy a hollowed out school bus and we could all travel the country in it and yada, yada, yada. This is like one of those ideas that's never really going to happen. Did someone suggest that? Because I want to do that. No, you don't actually. You do right now because you're having wine and popcorn. Forgive me, listeners. But you don't actually really want to do that. So I'm just saying this is one of those ideas I think is better in idea than in theory. But if you guys want to put some out there, let's do it. How do Why they not? submit them? In? Just put them in the group. You have to be okay. Look, we're not going to have 15 ways for you to submit it. There's one way to submit an entry. You have to join our group, go to Facebook and look up cast and blast Florida dash the group. And if you're not on Facebook, sorry, that's the only place for us to do it. It's a big world and there's a lot of you and there's only three of us go in there, submit a picture and say, I'm entering this beautiful work of art in the charcuterie chalet contest for 2020 and you will be submitted. They can, ever thus. can they submit multiple pictures? So they show angles. Absolutely. Can they, can they add commentary in their post? Absolutely. I would love an entire five paragraph essay on how and why you built your chalet, who it's dedicated to the backstory, how you feel about 2020, all of the things. Okay. Perfect. Let it out. Oh, I would like a list of ingredients as well. Oh, okay. Oh, Nate's going. Like the types of cheese and the types of meat, types of cracker. And what they represent. Yeah. <laughs> um, if if this takes off, there was a lot of talk about doing something, raising money for charity. No. Nah. <laughs> if this takes off and we get more than three entries, next year we'll do it again and we'll let, let you raise money for charity. But I, I just am skeptical of this being a thing. I'm skeptical. I'm sorry. Okay. Show us your chalets. Yeah. Prove me wrong. Speaking of hurricanes. Did we get through all the what's news? Yeah, that was all the what's did, news. Oh. Did we speak of hurricanes? No, but we are recording <laughs> this as a hurricane is coming, I think. Also, what kind of name is Etta? Every like, time I look at it, I'm like ETA on the hurricane. Thank and I'm, you. What the freaking heck? Like, did no one think of this beforehand and be like, uh, we I should think it's because we're one. in the Greek alphabet. It is, but it's still dumb. Well, it's but isn't the, confusing. What is E? Is E Etta? Alpha, beta, gamma. I thought it was epsilon. <laughs> A, B, G. Yeah. Those other ones don't count. Okay. Um, I have no idea what we're doing here. I have no idea why we have a hurricane called ETA. I don't know why they they post it with ETA all caps sometimes, so it looks like estimated time of arrival. Do we feel like, do we feel like official wife of the show, Catherine, could bring us up to speed on what the Greek alphabet is? You're the official uh, wife of the show. Oh. Oh. Catherine is the former official fiance of the show. Okay. I mean, <laughs> uh, I don't know if she knows that many Greek letters, but I'll I'll see. All right. She's Let not she's not your go to for Greek resources. <laughs> Sorry. Typically, no. Okay. Um. Anyway. But anyway, yeah. There's this hurricane barreling towards us after November. It's not even hurricane season, though. No, I know it is hurricane season until November thirtieth. 
Is it? Yeah. I thought November I thought 1st it was, was October 30. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Bro. I don't know. I thought it was November 30. Check your facts, bro. Let me look it up. Right, Emily's going to check the internet. While she's doing that, I'm going to tell you what you can do to ensure yourself against hurricane damage. Reach out to our good friend and longtime sponsor, Fletcher Hallett with Hallett Insurance, 904-315-5812. Did my voice just change? That was weird. Yeah. That was creepy. I didn't hate it. Oh, really? Hey, let me just pause this for recording for a minute. Yikes. <laughs> it does go till November 30th. Pretty I was sure wrong. You were right. November Dang. 30th. Um, anyway, it's still hurricane season as evidenced by what's going on with ETA slash ETA. And if you have not gotten your policy reviewed, what are you waiting for? So many of you have reached out to Fletcher over the year. The vast majority of you, have, if you've told me about it, you're like, man, he was great. He saved me some money. I've had a couple of you say, you know what? He couldn't save me money, but he was dead on honest about everything that was going on. He ran the numbers and was like, I don't think I can do anything for you. There's no harm in reaching out. So 904-315-5812, or you can send him an email at fhallett at hallettends.com. Emily, how do you spell Hallett? Hang on, I got to warm up. <laughs> this is all part of the ad. Double the O's and double the T's. Hallett for all your insurance needs. Yeah. What are we talking about for our main segment today? Today's an important day, guys. There's a lot of critical discussion going on in Florida right now. A lot of people are really invested in it. And to kind of level set everybody, make sure we're using the right vocabulary and make sure that everybody who doesn't have 40 hours a week to study the North American conservation model understands what's going on. We decided to dedicate this episode to reviewing um, public trust. Is it the something of public trust? The, the doctrine of public trust. The doctrine or the, or the, of public or trust. Or the PTD, the public trust doctrine, is how it's abbreviated in the North American book. Okay, good, 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 good. Okay. PTD. Cool, 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 cool. So, so what Not we're going to do is, this is kind of going to be a two-parter, but you could listen to them individually and be totally fine. But basically, we want to talk about the doctrine of public trust today, what it is, why it matters, get some background on all of the court cases that got us to this point. And kind of set the stage for a deeper discussion next week where we, we kind of tie it into, um, you may have heard us talk about or seen online, the restricted hunting areas in Florida and the controversy surrounding all of that. So. But we're not really going to go into that much Yeah, today. we're not going into that much today. We're really today just taking the time to cover the doctrine like of public trust. Like a 10,000-foot view on public yeah, trust. Yeah, this will be a... Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful this is a 10 minute conversation on public trust. So it may be a little longer, though, because I have gotten this book, The North American Model of Wildlife Conservation, and I have a lot of post-it notes in it. Yeah, that's my book, and it's got a lot of post-it notes in it now. Well, I didn't want to write in your book. You can write in my book. I write in it all the time. I felt weird. Okay, that's fair. I'm fine with that. Um, where do we start? Why don't we start by talking about Instead of jumping right into like the doctrine of public trust, can we start at a super high level with a term that a lot of more people might be familiar with, which is just a trust? Sure. What is a trust? A, a trust is basically when you set up a, you call it a trust, to hold assets. Okay. So you're putting the assets into a trust. You are the beneficiary. Mm -hmm. The person managing that trust is the trustee. They're in charge of that trust. So you can set up a trust for your kids with your properties and stuff mm -hmm. to make sure that they get distributed correctly after they, after you die or that's what a trust is in essence. Like that's the kind of the colloquial local 
verbiage so of a trust that you'd be familiar a, with. Putting something into a trust is taking the burden of care off of yourself and placing it with the trustee who is managing the trust. Correct. Nate, do you have anything to add to that so far? So to put this into terms of North American model of conservation, the government is the trustee of lands and animals. And we are the beneficiaries of those things. Just to put it in perspective of kind of what we're talking about. The doctrine exactly. of public trust in, so in the, North America. Yep. So the public the, trust is. Hold on. The public is. Yeah. The public is the beneficiary. The government is the trustee. That's right. And the, the other example I was going to use, just tying all this together, because you asked about trust, mm-hmm. something we've talked about a lot recently and <laughs> little little personal PR. I recently did a video um, with Conservation Florida, which Conservation Florida is a land trust organization. They're a nonprofit that does land trust for conservation easements, essentially. So if you're a landowner, you put your property into an easement, they can help you negotiate that easement but then you can turn over the management of that easement to them as a land trust. So they become the trustee. You're the beneficiary. And ultimately the, the, the public, we, the public because of the conservation easement are also beneficiaries of that, of that trust. So trusts are a thing that we, obviously we're going to be talking about public trust. And like Nate talked about in the North American model, we are the beneficiary, the, the government or the, the state is the trustee. And that's kind of where we're going to hone in, but it's, this is not an unfamiliar concept to us at large. Right. So where do you want to go from there? So I want to go to, I'm having a hard time finding my sticky. So hang on a second. They're giant blue fluorescent blue stickies hanging off my book. I think we could start. Let's, let's do a parallel. Something that's really easy to understand right now. Let's talk about why it's okay for fishermen to fish in the water around somebody's dock. Can you explain that to them? Well, I, I think we're jumping around too much. I think we need to start by defining what is public trust, which Nate already kind of has done. Yeah, we, I thought we did that. But it's the idea of the wild resources, the natural resources, the game, the animals, the state manage those manages those for us. And that includes public waters for both water supply and recreation. And you can go way back in history. The first court case on public trust. Well, I'll say this. Public trust is codified in Justinian law, like in the Roman Empire, and it's mentioned in the Magna Carta. It's not called public trust doctrine, but the principle of it is mentioned in the Magna Carta. The first court case around it was in 1842. That was Martin versus Waddell. And the roots of Martin versus Waddell went back to like the King of England granting his brother or cousin or something a, a lease for oysters in Chesapeake Bay or someplace, New Jersey. It was it was in New Jersey. Raritan Bay, I think, is where it was. And what happened is the, the court determined that the waters, basically all tidal waters, all high waters, belong to the people. Those are in the public trust. They're in the public domain. And so... Right. No, well, I have a document pulled up um, about it. And it says, by the 6th century Roman civil law, the Justinian Institutes, the legal text of the time, stated, by the law of nature, these things are all common... These things are common to all men, the air, running water, the sea, and consequently the shores of the sea. Right. So, and it, it's irregard, or that's not a word. It's regardless of who the property owner is of the lake bottom. Right. That's where public trust begins and ends is, is at that high water mark. And so if it rains and your lake gets higher, the 
public water extends up regardless of the right. lake bottom. So this has been a thing, um, and it was it was tried in 1842, and then I don't have the case in front of you. I think it was Illinois Central Railroad versus Illinois where they wanted to build a bridge across a bay on maybe Lake Michigan, and it was determined that they could not do that because of public trust doctrine. That There was a grant given to basically privatize part of the water, and it was realized that they shouldn't be allowed to do that. So a lot of court law, and you could go back and, and kind of follow that and trace it through environmental law. We are obviously not legal experts as we sit here and fumble through this. But just saying all that to say this is not a thing that's like theoretical. It's not theoretically, right. hey, public trust doctrine is a nice to have. It's a, it's a thing that we kind of like. It's it's a it's a real deal. It's a piece yeah, of the landscape. Yeah. Nate, can you give us a real world kind of illustration of of public trust in in action? Say you're on a Central Florida lake that has public access. And you put your boat in and you start fishing around this lake. And you're fishing around this dock from your boat. And the homeowner that owns the dock comes out and says, "Hey, you can't fish here." they have no legal right to tell you that like they can call the cops. They can call whoever they want. Legally, you are allowed to be there because you are on public water. You are not on their property. So if you had gotten out of your boat and got on their dock and started fishing from their dock, then yes, at that point you would probably be, you would be trespassing. Or if you got off your boat and got into their backyard past the high water mark and started fishing, you would be trespassing. But if you were in your boat, you are within your legal right to fish around that dock because the person, the homeowner does not own the water or the land under the water. So the doctrine of public trust is that the state holds that lake and manages that lake for the recreator, AKA you and me and water supply, the public. And yeah, for the public. Therefore the homeowner that has the house on the lake and their property line runs to the high water mark of the lake, they cannot come out and say, you're not allowed to fish in front of my house because you're in your boat, you're on public water, you are absolutely within your right to fish in front of that house. Which is, we did not want to go into restricted hunting areas this week, but I am going to dally into that just to hear and say part of my discomfort with the restricted hunting area thing is you're, you're creating a zone which impacts submerged sovereign land, or, or which is basically water. You're, you're creating right. a zone. What is, can you stop for a second and define submerged sovereign land? Submerged sovereign land is land of the state that is underwater. It's the simplest way to put it. So basically, if you're floating, you're over submerged sovereign land. Um, it's the mean high water mark is, is where you measure that to. Within the confines of the RHA proposal, and again, I don't want to dive deep into that, but within the confines of that, if a house is 100 feet from a, from a lakeshore and they put an RHA into that area, you now have a 200 foot impact of submerged sovereign land of, of water that you can't hunt within. I feel like that's a little bit of a slippery slope when you look at the public trust doctrine. And Nate, Nate and Emily and I were talking a little bit off air a little while ago. Yeah, we have some examples of that out in the state. Like there's people out there that do actually have clam leases, which undermines the idea of Martin versus Waddell. There's people out there that have oyster leases in Apalachicola. Like there's some of that stuff on the landscape. But from a widespread standpoint, if you begin impacting because of homeowners, essentially to me, and this is Travis's math, public trust doctrine says, can a homeowner on a lake apply to use that lake for a dock? 
yes, they can. They can go pull permits. They can they can jump through hoops, but that doesn't give them any more rights or access to that water than you or I have as a taxpayer and denizen of the state. And that's a, I think, an important distinction that if you begin to compromise on, you don't know when to stop it. Is that is that fair? Like, do you follow me? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Because I feel like it's easy to get sideways. Like, we can get wrapped into the details a lot on this. And I don't know what I'm talking about because I'm not a lawyer. But you can go go way down in, in the rabbit hole on environmental law. And that's, now, you had some, some notes in about just some takeaways, like, from a project management perspective and metrics and stuff. Like, when you look at something and you're going to impact submerged sovereign land or you're going Im- to impact the public trust, you, you got some takeaways that you kind of read through. and then So... You, I know absolutely nothing about anything, but I picked up a copy of the North American model of wildlife conservation as written by Shane Mahoney and Valerius Geist. And I flipped to chapter 10, which is about private public collaboration and institutional successes in North American conservation. The very like first three sentences, I'm going to read them to you now. What is success? Government agencies, businesses, and other organizations rightfully strive to develop metrics before launching an initiative so progress towards stated goals can be measured. I think that's just something that I want everyone to stop and soak in for a second because if there's an initiative around hunting areas, public land, navigable waters, whatever, we need to stop and ask ourselves, okay, what is the problem that this is solving and how are we going to measure its success? And if you can't answer those two things, we should not move forward. You should not pass go. So you're creating a problem statement. Yeah. I mean, in IT world, which is where I live, it's, it's called a problem statement. It's it's how you know you fix the thing, right? You have a problem. Once you're clearly able to say what the problem is, it's very easy to move toward a solution. And sometimes things are super um, complex and that's okay. You may have 15 problem statements that get something fixed, but getting to those problem statements just helps you understand how to move forward, even if it's incrementally, even if it's, you know, iterationally iterating. Right. So. And a problem statement can be, like you just said, multifaceted. So the problem statement could be homeowners are complaining that people are fishing around my dock. Yeah. But the problem statement could also be, or another juxtaposed problem statement could be they're building docks where we want to fish. Absolutely. Right. So there's a, there's a, Usually it's somebody can't do a thing because of a thing. And here's what happens. That's a problem statement. Right. Right. Travis can't go fishing because of this rule and therefore it impacts his income. Right. That's like a problem statement. Okay. So the next thing I wanted to point out, and this is like a couple paragraphs next down in chapter 10, same book. They talk about being reactive versus proactive. And they say, Successes came incrementally with reactionary efforts to deal with urgent issues. And so, again, I would say if if something is very reactionary, then you really have a hard time tying it to a problem statement and expressing how you know it's going to be successful. And I feel like, again, if you if you see something going on and it doesn't meet those criteria, it's a reactionary thing. And even 100 million years ago, whenever this was started, it wasn't 100 million years ago. It was yeah, but hundreds of, of years ago they understood that it was really difficult to get to success when it's a reactionary situation. So, uh, you know, for your sports people, it's, it's defense versus offense, right? Which is something we've talked about before you and I Mm -hmm. like riding in the car. Part of the reason it feels like hunting always loses 
is because we're, we're not always good at, on the defense. Right. We're always. not good at thinking strategically about things. We're always putting the last fire out. Yeah. If your house is on fire, you have to absolutely have to put it out. But at some point you need to start, stop and look and think, why are all these fires being created? Right. It's tactical versus strategic. Those were great. Those were good notes. Is that all of them you had? I have, I only have one more. All right. You want to give it to us? And yeah. we'll, Nate's got a quote and I'm going to let him have the last word and get us out of here. Yeah. So um, this is towards the end of the chapter as they're wrapping up. It just says in recent years, collaborative approaches um, have been initiated. They've been known as cooperative conservation or, or pre-listing conservation. Um, and it says these approaches entail the engagement of affected stakeholders with scientists and wildlife managers from all jurisdiction levels. So they're combining all of the stakeholders with scientists and wildlife managers in a highly idealized portrayal. So they acknowledge this is, you know, ideal, maybe not real world, but scientists would provide evidence for management actions or alternative land management practices or mitigation efforts that might lead to species recovery. Affected interests then agree to implement those strategies. And finally, Wildlife managers factor these into their regulatory decisions. Throughout the process, there's interaction and communication among all of the parties coupled with rigorous monitoring. The incentive for private interests to engage is to prevent a species listing and having to endure greater regulatory restrictions. The incentive for the wildlife managers is to achieve voluntary cooperation in wildlife recovery and conservation efforts. For both groups, there is a desire to avoid protracted and costly court proceedings. So I just really, I like to kind of go back to the basics of what this is and why it's important, what the stakeholders have to gain, what the stakeholders have to lose, and think about who's representing your interests. Because something I've said to Travis, it's become my mantra over and over and over, is that hunters need a lawyer <laughs> because there is absolutely no one out there representing the best interests of hunters in Florida. Yeah, especially and we'll get into this next week when you think about this restricted hunting area and who is letting it come to fruition. Yeah, the, there's a part it was in another paper that Mahoney wrote where he talks about um, there are other threats that claim a social or moral consciousness asserting that non-human animals are sentient. Um, they may not be owned that when you get into that kind of stuff. And, and I think we get into that a little bit when we get into social sciences, because I don't really like someone hunting in my backyard. Like that's a, that's a thing on the land. You shouldn't state. worry about that anyway. It's your private property. It's a direct, it's a direct, it, these are in direct conflict with the North American model. Like the, I don't know how else to say that it's in the book. <laughs> so if we're going to, if we're going to call this thing, the model and we're going to adhere to it and talk about conservation writ large, then I think we should, try to check some hypocrisy on that at the door. So Nate, the floor is yours on this. Yeah, no, those are, those are all good points. And and we've seen in the past where reactionary measures can a lot of times make things worse, right? Cause we were talking about reactionary versus proactionary. And so, you know, when you start, when you run through the steps, like you just laid out, Emily, that's when th- that's when critical thinking happens. Mm-hmm. That's when lots of stakeholders get their voices heard. That's when science-based wildlife management gets implemented, right? When these things are written out and followed step by step. There's a quote from Teddy Roosevelt that he said or wrote in 1916. So this quote is over 100 years old. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of long, but uh, here we go. Defenders of the short-sighted men who in their greed and selfish will 
if permitted, rob our country of half of its charm by their reckless extermination of all useful and beautiful wild things, sometimes seek to champion them by saying, quote, the game belongs to the people. So it does, and not merely to the people now alive, but to the unborn people. The greatest good for the greatest number applies to the number within the womb of time, compared to which those now alive form but in insignificant fraction. Let me read that line again. I love that so much. Compared to which, so the greatest good for the greatest number applies to the number within the womb of time, compared to which those now alive form but an insignificant fraction. Our duty to the whole, including unborn generations, bids us to restrain an unprincipled present-day minority from wasting the heritage of those unborn generations. The movement for conservation of wildlife and the larger movement for conservation of all our natural resources are essentially democratic in spirit, purpose, and method. Boom. Dude had some perspective. Dude had some writing chops. 1906. 16. 1916, so 104 years ago. Okay, that's our discussion on public trust doctrine. And we will come back to that, refer to that a lot. If you want to know more about it, we've talked about it with John Cooper before, and we've talked about it with John Fury from FWC before. So we, we've touched on public trust a little bit. And actually, last November, we did one on the seven tenets of the North America model, and public trust doctrine is... If you ask people in the in the North American model world, they'll tell you that that's kind of the the tenet that seeps into all the other tenets, so to speak. They're all equally important, but that one seeps everywhere. So um, with that said, it is time to move into keep and release everyone's favorite segment of the show brought to you by Two Fish Creative. If you have a software solution your business needs to solve, give a call to our good friends at Two Fish Creative. You can send them an email, info at T-W-O.F-I-S-H. Nate, what is your release? We've all talked about this ad nauseum, but it's just 2020 is my release. Like the whole year. Just like, <laughs> so especially with freaking Alex Trebek just passed away, which is like the saddest thing in the world. And with the election cycle just ending and... COVID still happening and just all other facets of life. It's just been a really, really hard year and I'm just really ready for it to be over. Um, even though years don't really matter that much as far as like what's going on, but I just feel like this year has just been like one punch after another and I'm just kind of over it kind of ready just to like fall asleep until 2021, just be done. Um, so how many times have you said that in the last month same this whole Jeez, month I've been man. like I'm so ready for this year to be over Ugh. man it's just exhausting like everything in life right now is tiresome yep so yeah and we both could sign on that but M particularly has just had because she's had to deal with me I was sick a lot and she's had to deal with me plus work plus just a million things going on so right I co-sign on it but I'm going to guess you double co-sign on it Double, um, triple. I'm going to piggyback on that just a hair and say that my release is it's 2020 and we can't count votes. Like we don't know how to count votes yet. And I just don't understand how we're here and we don't like I'm not I'm not seeing a conspiracy. I'm not I'm not. Yay Trump, Regardless of yay political Biden, party. Right? Yeah. It's just in general. Yeah. Like 
Florida, the Florida thing happened in 2000. Like the, the hanging chads and all that. Like that's how long ago it was. You punched out a chad on a ballot. That's what we're talking about here before scantron <laughs> machines and, and whatnot. Right. So I have a funny story about that. Please tell me. Uh, When I was 16, which would have been in 2000. You just gave two? them some math they could do. <laughs> I, I don't even remember, honestly. 2001, uh, my parents took me to New York City and we went to the Today Show. What year was it when the election thing happened? It was 2000. 2000. Election, but he would have been inaugurated in 2001. Okay, so 2001 is when we went. I feel like it was in Marchish, September. Yeah, yeah it was definitely 2001 because it was six months almost to the day before September 11th that we were there. And anyway, um, we went to the Today Show and we got to be on camera because we went as the hanging chads from Florida. Wow. Dressed as the hanging nice. chads from Florida. You pulled a Ted Mosby from... Um, how I Met Your Mother. That was his like go-to Halloween costume for like years. Oh, was and then it? He's, he kept doing it. He kept doing it until like people were like, "What are you?" Like people <laughs> did, didn't get the joke anymore. Anyway, sorry. Do you have pictures of this? I don't think so. Okay, I, never mind. We're gonna reach out to other members of your family if they have pictures <laughs> of this because this feels like a thing that needs to be addressed. I also got to be on the Rosie O'Donnell show while I was there. That entire story I just told feels like a time capsule from wow. so long ago. <laughs> well, my release is the fact that we can't count votes. Like, let's get it together. Doesn't the technology? Yeah. yeah. Doesn't the technology exist to where a person doesn't have to touch a ballot? Yeah. Like, that's my. That's like, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Like, and we could, we could get political pretty quickly, like about mail-in ballots and absentee ballots and where they're handled and how they're handled and everything else. But what I'm saying is this from 2000 to 2020, Florida basically knew who won that night. Like it was, it was pretty much done. And I'm looking at you, Nate in Georgia, and I'm looking at Nevada and I'm looking at Pennsylvania and I'm looking look. at Michigan. And I'm, I'm just thinking, look, y'all could have saved us a whole bunch of heartaches and Twitter tweets and everything else. If y'all just get your act together and figure out how to count votes. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I'll make sure to be as far away as possible from counting votes in 2024. Okay, that's probably a smart move. Yep. That's that's probably a smart move. Emily, what is your release? You are my release. Specifically, okay, no, not maritally. We went went duck scouting on Saturday, (sighs) this past Saturday. And we get about five minutes from the boat ramp and it starts pouring down rain the sky is dark and i'm like uh, did you check the weather no no he looks at me and goes can you check the radar and i was like wait a second <laughs> you you didn't check the weather before he left the house he's like nah which is such a travis thing to say if you know travis him to go just like that nah nah so i'm like okay cool so we get to the boat ramp and it's raining and the water is so high on this particular lake that the car was underwater to get the boat in the ramp to the ramp and it's raining. And I'm like, I took the sick kid jacket for myself because you know, I'm the girl. Right. (laughs) So I can do that. (laughs) But I'm like standing in this boat and I'm like, this is the sunshiny boat ride you promised me. And I want to go home. And he's like, okay, I guess we'll go home. And then I was like, well, we're here. We may as well go look for ducks. So <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't confusing for me at all. <laughs> right. So anyways, we go look for ducks and we like, when we went, we skirted kind of the edge of the lake and it wasn't that bad, but there was a moment where Travis had to like run across the lake. How high were the swells? You said four foot. They, they were three to four foot in <laughs> a duck boat. That's, it was, Man. it was nasty. Listen, 
That's not great. I have never, I have been in some situations with Travis on a boat. Nate, you know that I have. We all have. Okay. For 10 years, I've been doing this. That is the first time I've ever had a panic attack on a boat. And literally started hyperventilating and saying, no, 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 over and over. And I finally just like laid in the bottom of the boat. And I'm here to tell you, I mean, the Sitka jacket does really well unless the water is coming into it from over the side of the boat, into your face, into your eyes, down the front of your jacket. It was awful. It It was a lot. It was a lot. Even Travis, when it was over, he's like, that was a little touch and go. I wasn't sure about that. Listen, I've been in some sketchy situations on boats in my day. I believe it or not. Like I, I try not to, but I, I get in some sketchy situations sometimes. That was sketchy. Like I was there was some moments there where I was like, This is not great. Mm-mm. What's going on here is not great. Not at all. And that's what I said to myself. Self, this isn't great. I hope Emily's okay. Is she still <laughs> in the boat? <laughs> important question though. All right. Um keeps. I have an important question. Oh, what's your important question? About that. Yes, there were ducks. Oh, okay. That was my important <laughs> question. <laughs> he knew right where he was going. I did. Sorry, I didn't mean to leave <laughs> did you. Did you find any ducks? That was my question. Um, Emily, what is your keep? We're going to let you go first because I feel like you have a great keep. And, oh, my and God. This was almost a release. Nate, you're going to be so excited. Uh, I am keeping the movie My Cousin Vinny. Oh, nice. That's a classic. I watched it. It took me 35 years. <laughs> Listen, we've started. She almost released herself for not ever watching My Cousin Vinny because we have started on three separate occasions and made it to the part like 10 minutes in where they get to the Sack of Suds convenience store and, and steal the tuna fish. And she's like, this is stupid. I'm not watching this anymore. This is just dumb. It's what? so dumb. It it's so dumb. dumb. It's so dumb. Did you love it? 2020 broke me down so much that I've Did been watching movies. Yeah, it was hilarious. I love actually Mona Lisa Vito. Vito. I oh my god, so many Lady Gaga vibes from her, right? Like she is everything Lady Gaga was the past few years, especially when she released the Joanne album. Anyway. I think you're the only one getting that. Somebody here, where's Stacy Woodham? Hit me up on Facebook. She knows. <laughs> anyway, I'm proud of you for finally watching my cousin Vinny. Bull Durham and my cousin Vinny within two weeks of each other. I know. What's next? I don't even know. Who knows? Maybe our listeners should submit movie recommendations <laughs> to you. Okay. I'm done for that. Okay. Uh, Nate, what is your keep? So I'm going to flip my release around. Um, and I'm going to keep 2020 for um, several reasons. Because <clears throat> if you talk about the bad, you also got to talk about the good, right? Um, so... 2020 was good for me. A great year for me. Um, I got married. Year? <laughs> listen. <laughs> Is it over? Listen. <laughs> listen. I got married to an amazing woman, and I got a new job this year, which I'm very happy about. Uh, I'm getting a dog this year. My family is healthy. And, um, you know, I can't – although we like to, to complain about 2020 – 2020 has actually also been a really great year on top of all the bad. So just wanted to, just wanted to kind of flip my release around and um, talk about some of the good stuff because we got, you got to wow. keep perspective. Nate. You got to keep perspective. I mean, you're right. My 2020 didn't, didn't have many high points, but I'm really glad yours did. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, all right. I've got, I've got two keeps. 
first key is another new shirt is dropping tomorrow. And this is not a tease. Like this shirt will actually drop tomorrow because we already have them in hand. And what do you mean? Will it drop from the top? No. Oh my God. <laughs> what does that mean when you say it's going to drop? I mean, there's going to be a new shirt available on Cast and Blast Florida's okay. shop tomorrow. All right. Just checking. <laughs> Why are you the way that you are? <laughs> um, this shirt is going to celebrate waterfowling across the country. Um, it's a really cool shirt. It's got the U.S. flag in it, and we're really proud of it. Uh, folks are really excited about it. So we are going to need some help, though, getting it in front of some folks that are not from Florida because this is a shirt that's going to have kind of appeal to duck hunting collectors and, and, and waterfowl destination folks. So um, we're excited about it. You guys check it out and, and help us get it in front of as many people as you can. My other keep is, do you know what tomorrow is the day after this releases? It's our anniversary. It is at mine and Emily's nice. nine year anniversary. Oof. Four of them. Good. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of them all happened in 2020 yeah. the rest of <laughs> yeah, them were right. 2020 <laughs> no nine years i would do it again tomorrow baby would you happy anniversary happy anniversary i love you you derp i love you too <laughs> we, we don't ever get to do that on the podcast i know it's weird anyway happy anniversary to him thank you guys all for listening and we will no thursday show this week we will see y'all next week stay woke Thanks for listening to the Cast and Blast Florida podcast. This podcast is brought to you every Tuesday by our patrons and sponsors. You can become a patron by clicking the link in the show notes, but there are other ways you can help us out, including telling a friend about the podcast or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to check out our store for Cast and Blast swag and enjoy the mellifluous tones of Trail Diver taking you into the rest of your day. Yeah, it's so-